Hey, you're listening to the GGC Life Podcast. Weekly messages from our Sunday services. We hope this message encourages you. Be blessed. The Bible says Jehovah, Jehovah, Jireh, Jehovah, Nisi, Jehovah, Rofe, all these different names. I think he's also Jehovah Sneaky. And, you know, Christine just said an anointed announcement. And it, goes all, it can go right under us. What an opportunity. It might sound very, when I hear in that announcement, you're asking people to clean the toilets, clean the building. I think, man, who thinks that's anointed announcement? That's why he's sneaky. We don't think it's anointed, but it's an opportunity to serve. And, you know, sometimes we, you know, and that's like, wow, everyone wants to serve, but someone does that. Someone cleans the building and then, what do you call it when you sanitize? Someone sanitizing the whole building so we can have a great experience. And we have an opportunity to help and, and as a family. So if you can do that, don't be surprised. I mean, don't uh, miss Jehovah Sneaky's announcement. It is an anointed announcement. Don't think, oh, that's just not it's anointed. I went for the word of God. You just missed God's anointed announcement. Anyways, I just thought of that when I was there. You know, that's so, God's so cute like that. He really is. It goes over our heads sometimes or totally under us. I'm just waiting it to go. It's going over. Just going. Let it go over. Anyways, you'll get. You we'll get it. We're all getting it. Wonderful. Um, God is so good, and it's so good to see your beautiful faces. It really is. I just want to. And I was saying this at 9 a.m. that you see our faces because we're up here, you know, preaching and all that. But we don't see your faces. So sometimes it's so nice to see you. I've been seeing you every week, but we haven't seen you. So it's so nice to see you together. In the you know just gathering around His name and 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 worshiping God and it's so beautiful to be able to worship God together. Let's not take what we have for granted. Amen. We've been away some of us for four months. You know we haven't been in our togetherness for about that about four months. We're going to dive into the Word of God, Philippians chapter three, and I want to do a number of things all at the same time. One of the things I want to impart to us is a hunger for the Word of God, a hunger for God's Word, and 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 also. Um, an impartation of how to read the Word and how to read the Scripture and how to, read and how to keep the Scripture in its context. That's where people go wrong when we take a Scripture out of its context. Take the text out of the context. What do you got left? A con. You know, we, we say that in jest, but it's real. When you take Scripture out of its context, without the storyline, without the, 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 the narrative, without the understanding behind it, we make it say whatever we want it to say. But when we go to the Word of God and let the Word of God interpret the Word of God, let the Scripture interpret Scripture, the Word is so powerful. Paul, the apostle, was a great, great apostle, one of the greatest apostles that ever lived. And you know, we don't, don't underestimate the revelation that he walked in. Don't underestimate it. He, with the revelation of the gospel that he understood, he shook Ephesus, the unknown city, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they, they, I mean, they say that, I believe, my personal opinion of that, the scripture doesn't give us you know, any uh, understanding of this, but I believe that church was a massive church. I think it would have got up to around fifty to 100,000 people, and the whole city is about 400,000 people. The reason why I come to that conclusion is that the silversmith, the ones who were making all the idols, were so angry and intimidated by the gospel he preached because people weren't buying the idols anymore. So if you, if you lose 10% of your income, it's not much to lose. That's, that's 40,000 people. There's 400,000 in the city. But if, if you're going to lose a lot of your income, you're freaking out. They made a riot in that city. 
they grabbed the city and they, they gathered in that, that arena, that uh, amphitheater, the outdoor amphitheater still there today, and they, they rioted Paul's gospel. Paul preached this gospel and they said about Paul, everywhere he goes, he turns the world upside down. So I want to know how he understood this gospel. I want to know how he knew Jesus. If I can get, get into that revelation of knowing Jesus for who he is. So there's a number of points. We've got about 20 points, okay? I don't know if we're, gonna be able to, we're not going to go through all of them, but I'll go through them quite quickly. But it's not points as, you know, it's more the scripture. It's more, what are we getting out of this scripture? What, what's highlighting in this scripture? And so again, I'm trying to help us to be hungry for the word, to create an appetite for you to read. I'm saying at 9 a.m., please read this scripture, even after today, in the next few days, maybe the next few weeks. Just go over it. Spend an hour or two in it, even if you can. An hour or two a day, if you can. Every second day, just spend, soak, understand what Paul is saying. So we're going to dive into the Word of God. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, Finally, my brothers and sisters, the word brother, brethren means brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And the first point is to rejoice in the Lord. Let me read it in the Passion Translation. It says, Beloved ones, don't ever limit your joy or fail to rejoice in the wonderful experience of knowing our Lord Jesus. When, I, when, I, when Paul's instructing to rejoice in the Lord, I think it's a protection about stuff that he's about to teach further on. It's a protection that you've got to appreciate what you have in the Lord. Rejoice in the fact that you have a love relationship with the Lord. That you're in connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. God himself became a man and now we have a relationship with. Don't take it for granted. I really believe he's trying to say rejoice in the Lord. Don't take your relationship with the Lord for granted. Be appreciative what you have with the Lord. Even if you walked with the Lord for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, still be as appreciative. If anything, we should be way more appreciative 30 years down the track. You know the Lord more intimately today than you did when you first became a Christian. The reality is sometimes uh, we're more, we were more on fire when we first became a Christian. We were more appreciative then. We were more uh, uh, spending time with the Lord. And, and praying and fasting and reading the Word and excited about everything when it comes to the things of God. Rejoice in your relationship with the Lord. This protects us. There's a scripture in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul writes that we should love the truth. And he says, those that did not love the truth, in the reading of, it, sounds, it says, the Lord sent them strong delusions and that they would believe a lie. When you read it, it's not saying that the Lord goes out of his way to send them delusions. It says because they did not love the truth, appreciate the truth, and really, really appreciate what you have in God, the truth of the reality that we have, if you don't appreciate that, it says the, the, the consequences of that is they ended up believing a lie. Something about appreciating what we have that protects us from going astray. We'll, we'll go into that. I'll show you. The next thing he says, For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. For me to write the same things. So number one is rejoice in the Lord. Very, very important, powerful truth. Number two is use the power of repetition. Paul is stating, he obviously felt the pressure to write something new. He actually wrote about this before. And he says, um, I don't mind repeating what I've already written you because it protects you. It's like, why are you bringing it up? I think he's bringing it up because he feels the pressure as a speaker, as a communicator, to come up with something fresh, something new, something deeper. But he says, I'm going to repeat 
is for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, not slackful, it's not slothful, it's not lazy, but it is safe for you. It actually protects you. So the, the repetition is powerful. The Bible is written in a way that we, we hear the theme, the story over and over and over about God sending His Son Jesus, Jesus dying on the cross. It's themed throughout the whole Bible. And it's the power of repetition. And even as the Word of God, you, you know, a lot of people know that repetition is the key to teaching people. You've got to repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. You, you, talk, you don't just teach it once and leave it. So we repeat it because Paul repeated it. And we're not looking for some, you know, I'm very, I want to be the first one to admit, when you're preparing a message, it's always, the temptation is, I want to wow people, which I don't want to, but that's the temptation. And when you're you're young in the Lord or you're immature, you want to impress people. And you've got to be careful that you don't just come up with an eloquent speech that doesn't really empower people. An eloquent speech that helped entertain people, it tickled people's ears, it made people feel good, but it really helped people. In their relationship with the Lord. So the reality is it's got to actually help us, equip us in our relationship with the Lord. Our job as preachers, pastors, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, is actually to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Therefore, they are, it's like connect them to God. Teach them how to hear God's voice for themselves. Not dependent on us, but teach them to be priests unto their God. That's New Testament Christianity. So we want to, it's okay to repeat, okay? And it's a power of repetition. It protects. It keeps them safe. Number three, it says the first, I think, it is what Paul's trying to say is beware of deception. Paul's trying to communicate beware of deception. Why is he saying that? Because in verse 2, he says, beware of dogs. Is he really worried about the ones that bark? No. But it's interesting that he phrases dogs, you know, like, beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation um, and in, 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 in the Passion Translation, it says, Beware of those religious hypocrites who teach you that you should be circumcised to please God. Now, the, they were Jewish people. Obviously, they, they, they taught that you've got to keep the law of Moses and be circumcised to be saved. So they, they were adding to the New Testament that they would have to physically be circumcised to enter a covenant with God. And so even though Paul taught that we are, in verse, um, in verse 3, For we are the circumcision. Who worship God. In other words, we are the ones that have been circumcised in heart. Not physically, but in heart. So be aware of those ones that are deceiving you. They're trying to put pressure on you to think, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to do this. And if you circumcise, then you're right with God. If you don't circumcise, then you're not right with God. The problem with that teaching is it's works mentality. It's relying on your works, what you have to do to please God. Because he goes on to teach this, and he's trying to, he uses that as an example, but he goes on to teach he says, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. No, sorry, verse 3. We want to finish that. For we are the circumcision. We are the circumcision. We've been already circumcised in our hearts. Who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus. The word rejoice means to boast, to, to, to put our confidence in Christ Jesus. The anointed Savior. That's what Christ Jesus means. We put our confidence in the anointed Savior. Our boast, our rejoicing our confidence is in Christ Jesus and we have no confidence in the flesh no confidence in the flesh and he says that I also might have confidence in the flesh I might have confidence in the flesh if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh I more so now the way the passion translation brings it out nicely 
He goes on in verse 4. It's true that I once relied on all that I had become. I had a reason to boast and impress people with my accomplishments. So really, that's what he's saying. When you read it, it's saying, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. I, I really, if I relied on my flesh, and if I looked at relying on my flesh, this is what I could rely on. But he's basically saying, I used to, but not anymore. Because we know that in its context of its reading. And you keep reading the storyline. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day. Of the stock of Israel, I was the tribe of Benjamin. Now he's listing his you know, confidence that he could have in the flesh. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Concerning the law, I was acting like a Pharisee. In other words, I was doing my best to keep the law. Concerning zeal, man, I was persecuting the church. We know that about Paul. Concerning the righteousness, which is in the law, which we know there's no righteousness in the law. Because again, how do I interpret the scripture? I let the scripture interpret the scripture. Galatians, Romans talks about, by the justification of the works of the law, no flesh shall be saved. By keeping the works of the flesh, the works of the law, you can't be saved. And look what he says. Um, but one thing, but what things were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ. Those things that were gained for me, I count loss. So number four, number three was beware of deception. Number four is have no confidence in the works of the flesh. You and I have to make a decision that I have no confidence. Everybody say no. No, no, no confidence in the works of the flesh. Anything that I've ever done for God. The works of the flesh. I have no confidence in that. It's hard to convince a religious person that they need Jesus. Have you ever come a person that really, really believes, well, I'm a nice person. I'm not that bad. I go to church every week. I've got my religion. I do good works. And compared to most people, I'm not that bad. I'm really good compared to most people. So what do they do? They're relying on their religious works. They're relying in, I'm, such, I'm a pretty good person compared to most people. So now if they're religious, they're not convinced they need a saviour. They're relying on them being a good, good enough person. But we know, according to God's standard, we're, God's standard is perfection. It's, it's, if you want to make it into heaven, this, this, this is the way to make it into heaven. It's to be 100% perfect without any sin. But we know that spiritually dead people, people that lost the presence of God in, in Adam, in Adam we all died. In Adam, the Bible says, in Adam we died. In Christ, we made alive. So we're spiritually dead people. Without the presence of God, we lost the nature of God. We're trying to do good works to get to heaven. That's what's birthed all the religions of the world. It's our attempt to get to God. Paul's saying, have no confidence in the works of the flesh. Absolutely none. No matter how it masks itself. No matter how it presents itself. It might be religion. It might be atheism. It might be just. It might just be, uh, you know, humanism. I'm got God inside of me. I'm already God. And if I just find enlightenment, that's my salvation. And none of that saves you. Have no confidence in your ability to get to God by being good enough, by getting enlightened, for example, getting enlightened upon enlightenment upon enlightenment. God has a standard. And he stands as Jesus. God, I, I, just, I just want to show you something. This is so important. Because once you get free of the past, it says, have no confidence in the works of the flesh. Number five is this. Count all our fleshly works as rubbish. Because Paul did. Let's read on. But what things were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ. I actually counted all those things that in the natural look like they were they were gain to me, make me look like a good person. I count it loss. You have to make a decision to count all those good works as loss, right? And look what it says. 
for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I read it this way. I, I indeed also count all things lost, everything lost, for the superiority of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. In other words, I, I can know Christ Jesus or I can, I can rely on this. If I rely on this, I'm not going to know Christ Jesus. I have to let go of knowing my good work or, or trusting my good works, having confidence in my good works if I'm going to gain Christ. If, you, if you're really going to gain Christ and all that he gets to offer you, you can't rely on the, your flesh, your good works. Does that make sense? You've got to make a decision. I don't rely on my good works. I don't look back in my past before I became a Christian and think, I was a good person. Um, I did this. I did some good things. I went to church. None of that. I don't even rely as a Christian, as a believer. I don't rely on the fact that I've been preaching the gospel for 30 years. That gets me right before God. It doesn't. I count all things loss. Even that good work that you might look at, but that's a good work. That's got nothing to do with my salvation. Nothing whatsoever. Paul's, Paul's saying something really, really powerful. For whom, look at this. For whom? For Jesus. Is Jesus a person? Absolutely he's a person. For our relationship with him, being in love with him, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that, so that I may gain Christ. So we've got to count everything we've ever done, good, good works that we've ever done, as rubbish. You know what that, that really tells us is rubbish is useless, isn't it? It gives us a picture of rubbish is useless. So realize all your good works is useless to God. It's a beautiful way to die because you don't rely on yourself. You rely on His goodness. You rely on His mercy. You rely on His grace. You rely on His work, what He did on the cross. So that I may gain Christ. Look at this. And be found in Him. So, so we said... Number four was have no confidence in the works of the flesh. Number five is count all your fleshly works as rubbish. Make a decision, count it, consider everything you've ever done in your good works is as rubbish. It's useless. I'm not going to use it. I'm not going to rely on it. Catch your mo mo mind, your thoughts, your motives, relying on your good works. Don't, don't go there. Catch yourself and say, no, I'm not relying on that good work. That's nothing. That's not going to get me right with God. You catch yourself, right? Number six, I love this, be found in Him. I don't know about you, but when I first read that, be found in Him. I count everything that I've ever done, all my good works in my own flesh, my own strength, as rubbish. In one translation, he actually says like dung. Dung is manure. Worse than rubbish. Right? And be found in Him. God's looking for you. God's looking for you. God, I can't find Tony. Where's Tony? Ah, oh, I've got to find him in Jesus. I'm looking for... I'm looking, where's Enzo? Where's Enzo? Enzo? Can't find Enzo. Where's Enzo? Oh, he's found. He's hidden in Christ. If you want to find me, you have to know my address. I might say publicly right now because we're online, but I live somewhere in Blacktown. But you have to know my address, you want to find me because I live there. So God wants to find you. He wants to see where are you living. Are you living completely trusted, submitted to Christ in relationship with Him, in love relationship with Him? It's all about relationship, not religion. You don't think you, you, that you're right with God because you go to church. Of course not. A lot of people go to church. Gathering is vital, it's important, but that's not what gets you right with God. It's your relationship with Jesus. We're found in Him. I'm looking for you. Where, am, where is your address? Where are you living? Where are you really living? Only God knows this. And again, it's, it's, the, it's the trust of the heart. It's the submission of the heart. 
be found in him. Listen to this. Number seven is the righteousness of God is by faith in Christ. Right? Be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. Again, my, my own righteousness is from me trying to attempt to do the law. But me trying to keep the good works of the law, trying to be good enough, what's that called? My own righteousness. Now, some people might read that and just leave it in, its, in this picture and go, well, that must be okay if you just go before God with your own righteousness, he forgives you. No. Other scriptures in the Bible gives us this good interpretation. It says our righteousness are as filthy rags before God. Try to go before God and present filthy rags, see if he accepts it. Filthy, smelly, dirty rags, our righteousness. So we know that our own righteousness is not going to cut it before God. He's not saying that I'm approaching God with my own righteousness. He's saying, I'm not going to trust my own righteousness because it's like filthy rags. It's not something we can trust on. Look, because of the works of the Lord, is like my own righteousness. But that which is through faith in Christ, in who? An energy? In Christ as a person. And what God did for us in Christ at the cross. How do you know it's about the cross? Because later on he says, people that don't believe in this are enemies of the cross of Christ. So, what does it say? Where are we up to? Um, which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God. Where's this righteousness come from? From God. It's, it's from God, but it's actually God's righteousness. How do I know that? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Remember, interpret the scripture, interpret the scripture with the scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. What does it say? He who him who knew no sin, we know Jesus knew no sin, became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Whose righteousness? The righteousness of God in Christ. We actually inherit God's righteousness. And that's obvious because if God's gonna do something, he's gonna do it completely perfect. He's going to impute to you righteousness. He's going to give it to you and make it work. He's going to say make it stick. It obviously, it makes it stick because your, your, your old nature that was dead to God is now alive with Christ. We're not forgiven people. We're dead people coming alive. Not just forgiven and we've got the same nature. I was dead to God, the Bible says. In Adam, we all died, but in Christ, we come alive. You who were dead in your sins, but He made us alive with Christ. What part of you made, did he make you alive? Your spirit man that was dead to God, now he's made alive with God. We received our own resurrection through the resurrection of Jesus, putting faith in what he did on the cross. This is the pure gospel, but repetition is, protects you, keeps us in the reality of the word of God. I'm passionate about it. I love the gospel because I, I think when I look at the gospel, I see the wisdom of God. I see the love of God. I see the mercy of God. I see the righteousness of God. I see the judgments of God. I see all of the attributes of God in the gospel. You get to the place, you get God, I know no human being could have thought this up. No man, no person, no planet, no, no, one, on the, no one on this planet could have thought this up. Filled with the wisdom of God. To motivate people to love God back. Because God puts on a flesh body and dies on the cross in our place. Bible says we're not redeemed, we're not bought back by gold and silver, but by the precious blood of the Son of the living God. Jesus shed His blood and He bought you for Himself. Whew. 
So the righteousness, what type of righteousness is this? It's God's righteousness. We just established that. We know it's a gift. Every other scripture talks about the righteousness. It's a gift that God has given us the gift of righteousness. It's a gift, free gift. You can't do anything to earn it. That's good news. That's why it's, it's, it's imputed. The word uh, to, to, make, to be made right, it's also God declaring you right with him. God de- did the declaring. He declared you right. So when God declares you right, you're right. When you put your faith in Christ, that you stand holy, blameless, without reproach, unblameable in his presence if, this is in Colossians, if you continue in the faith, <coughs> excuse me, in the faith that's held out in the gospel. So as long as you're keeping, you know, if, the if is if you're keeping your faith in the hope that's held out in the gospel. The gospel is the good news of what Jesus did on the cross. As long as you're holding on to that, you're, you're blameless before God. Because he's given it to you and it's a righteousness that is imputed and your spirit that was dead is alive. Now the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You now have to renew my mind. My mind has to get renewed. The Bible teaches us that. And then my renewed mind working with my spirit that's resurrected, walking with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's living inside my spirit now. Didn't before my born again experience, but after my born again experience, the Spirit of God makes his home in us. The veil's torn. The way into the Holy of the Holy is made Available, Hebrews says, we enter boldly into the throne of grace through the blood of Jesus Christ. Our conscience is made clean because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So encouraging. This righteousness, again, a quick definition. One of the greatest definitions I've ever read, and, I, and this man lived it. He taught, this is the definition of righteousness. Says, right standing, righteousness is right standing with God. Right standing with Almighty God. And so what does that mean? It means the ability to stand in the presence of Almighty God without any sense of fear, guilt, condemnation, or shame whatsoever. Now that might be a big statement, but imagine the reality of that statement for a second. You know how God the Father sitting on his throne, John, when he saw God, when he's up in heaven and he saw God on his throne, he says he was like an emerald. Shining in all his brilliance, shining, exploding light coming out of him. God is light and in him there's no darkness whatsoever. God our Father spoke the universe into existence. He spoke the sun up in our galaxy. You can't even look at the sun for a few minutes without wrecking your eyes. Imagine looking on God. That God, God the Father. The Bible says rainbows of all colours emanates out of him. Lightnings, thunders, peals of thunders were coming out of the throne, out of his presence. Boom. I don't know what it looks like, but I believe the Bible. Lightnings and just sparking lightning bolts of love. I don't know what it is, but it's thundering. Power. But he's a person. Imagine standing in the very presence of Almighty God right now. God takes you and translates you. You're there in the brilliant light of his glory. I don't know about you, but I want to run. My first reaction in the flesh is, ah, I want to run away. But not when you know your righteousness. Not when you know this gift of righteousness. He came up with that idea. God's plan, God's redemption, God thought it up, not us. It's his, the pleasure, to the, pleasure to, the, to the goodness of the pleasure of his will, Ephesians says. His good pleasure. He came up with the idea in the I did it. I didn't even know I needed a saviour. He did it. So we can come boldly and say, thank you, God. You welcome me. I can experience your presence, the glory. I'm no longer short of the glory. You're not short of the glory anymore. It says, because of sin, we we fell short of the glory. But sin has been fixed. It's been eradicated. It's not a problem anymore. Your righteousness has been given. 
I've said this many, many times, but I want to make it personal. When I was a baby, baby Christian, I'm only learning these things. I don't even know the reality of what Jesus did on the cross. I'm worshipping God with my three little cords in my bedroom. Worshipping, pouring out my heart. This is where I knew how. I'm 19 years old. God, I love you, God. Yes, I'm telling you everything. I remember crying out, crying out, worshipping, worshipping, feeling like getting closer. And I think, oh God, I said to God, if it wasn't for my sin, I would be able to get closer to you. I can feel something holding me back. And the Lord said, Leah, it's not your sin that's the problem. It's you don't know what I have done about your sin. That's the problem. Spoke to my heart. And I thought, you know what? I want to learn about what you've done for me. I want to learn so I can stand in my righteousness like Jesus stood in his righteousness. And he can come before the Father. Now, all this righteousness, I said all that to catch the next point. Verse 9 is, no, verse number 8, sorry. We're up to number 8. We receive the righteousness of God, the gift of righteousness, by faith so that we may know him. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness, righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, ginosko him in the Greek, to, to know him intimately. If I don't know my righteousness, it's going to be very hard to know him. You'll struggle to know him because you're always relying on your works, confidence in the flesh. You look to yourself, you just unconsciously do that. When you, when you confidence, your boasting, your rejoicing is in Christ Jesus. Lord, what you did for me on the cross, that's why I can come before you. So powerful, guys. This is the gospel. Hebrews says, it's a good thing that your heart is established in grace. We understand that he gave it to us. And that I can know him intimately. It's all about knowing him intimately. Not religion, relationship. Knowing Him, not having my own righteousness. Is that where I'm up to? No, that I may know Him, verse 10. And the power of His resurrection. The dynamis, the dynamite power of His resurrection. I want to know Him, His person first. I want to know Him, relationship. I also want to know the power of His resurrection. I actually got, Paul saying, I want to experience the power of the resurrection. Resurrection life, basically. I want to tap into, know intimately this resurrection life. Paul is saying, he walked in resurrection life. And I think it's very much connected to understanding what Jesus, what God did in Christ. Christ represented mankind. He was our substitute. The, the great exchange took place. Him who knew no sin became sin. So I become righteous. So if Christ died and was buried and was resurrected according to the scriptures for our sins, the Bible says, he did all that for our sins, and he was resurrected from the dead. We also died, didn't we, through repentance? The old you, the old spirit man that was alive, died a spiritually dead person. That part of you is spiritually dead, the spirit man. That part of you dies when you repent and give your life to Jesus. The old Leo was crucified with Christ. The old you was crucified with Christ, and then you, get, you come alive. The moment you repent, your, your spirit is resurrected because you put your faith in the gospel. The only thing that resurrects a person is faith in the gospel, in what Jesus did on the cross. And then when you do put your faith in Christ, your spirit's resurrected. In the same way that Jesus was resurrected, Ephesians says, you who are dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ and seated you in heavenly places with Christ. Made us rise with Christ in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. That's experiencing resurrection life. So in our position, we're actually seated at the right hand of the Father. That's your position. I've got to know it to walk in it. 
And I believe when you know it, if I know that I'm tapping into the resurrection life, I'm not going to speak negative over myself. I'm not going to curse myself with bad words. I'm not going to say something that's contrary to what God has given me in reality. To me, this is reality. My world around me is not the reality. I believe the word of God is reality. And then it goes on quickly. I'm running out of time because it just gets better. And the good, good part is you can read this and see it for yourself. It says, the next thing he says, he says that I may know him. Yes, that I may know the power of his resurrection. We can, there's so much there because until I'm walking in the power that Jesus walked in, raised the dead, healed the sick, cleansed the leper, opened up blind eyes, I'm not walking in the power of resurrection. I, want, I don't want to stop. I don't want to lose my hunger. You, we shouldn't either because the Lord Jesus we serve says the works that I do shall you do also and greater works than these. Works, not just character. Works, good works. Look at this. And the fellowship of his suffering. I want to know intimately the kononia is the word there. Kononia is fellowship, partnership, communion. I want to commune even with his sufferings. How many people preach that one? Preach a whole series on communion with Christ's sufferings. But understanding when you, when you tap into communing in, with his sufferings, I believe you're tapping into the flow, if that's the right word, the, the spirit and the flow of understanding dying with Christ. Because the next one is that. He says, he says also that I may know him and be conformed into his death. To assimilate. That's what that word means. To assimilate even his death. If I experience his death, I'll experience his resurrection. The Bible says that. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. To the degree that you and I die to our flesh will determine how we get resurrected. And walk in that resurrection power I'm talking about in this life now. The more I die. So my, my theology of suffering is simple, but I believe in suffering. Let me explain it quickly. The suffering I believe in, according to the Word of God, I believe we should have a theology of suffering much better than we do. Is One thing is this. I know for sure God has no sickness in heaven, no disease, no pain to give anybody. So any sickness, disease doesn't come from God. That's my theology already. Bang. Because Jesus taught that. Right? 100% believe that with all my heart. My mom died of cancer. I watched her die for two years suffering. I didn't question God once. Before God, I didn't say, God, why did you let this happen? Because I know God didn't give my mom cancer. 100% knew that. It grounds you in the truth. It makes you strong. That when you see evil around you or sickness around you, you know God's not the author of that. You have to know this. The other one is this. that James says that... Um, God cannot be tempted with evil, nor does He tempt any man with evil. So I know my theology of suffering. God never tempts me or you with evil. But in my theology of suffering, I understand that we live in a fallen world with very, very evil, wicked people. And therefore, because we stand up for righteousness and light and we preach the gospel, we will be persecuted for His name's sake. And some of us will die for His name. Some of us are going to be tortured for His name. In countries around the world, it's happening right now. Just because you don't see it in the West, it doesn't mean it's not real or not happening. But we will be you know, ridiculed for His name. We see that. We'll be put down because of His name. But we're going to be put in jail because of His name. Like That sort of stuff. When that happens, we don't blame God. Does that make sense? That's my theology of suffering. So when, the, when those apostles were whipped 39 lashes, they were whipped. And they said this when they walked out of the... They looked at each other. Ha! <laughs> Exciting. We count it worthy to suffer for his name. And their backs are laying bare and they're thrown in jail and so on. They actually rejoice that they suffered for the name of Jesus. Every time you and I get out of bed, when it's freezing cold, winter, 
It's comfortable. I've got a choice. I can get up and get, spend time with God or I just stay here. Every time you say, I'm getting up and spend time with God, you uh, say no to your will and say yes to His will. That's dying to flesh. That's crucified life. That's a part of that dying to the flesh part. And all this, Paul builds and builds. And I love what he says because he, he gives us his heart. He reveals what motivates him. He says, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the, I do all this, I can attain to the reality of the resurrection life, the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or I am already made perfect or complete. He's saying, I haven't, I haven't arrived. In other words, it's a beautiful attitude. Paul raising the dead, healing the sick, doing great things like this, shaking cities upside down. He says, I haven't arrived. I, I, I get this revelation, I haven't arrived, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. In other words, I'm, looking, I'm, I'm, I'm going after the very thing that motivated Christ to lay down His life to, to possess me. What, mo- what motivated the heart of Jesus to go after you? He's in love with you. That same thing I want to go for. And I know I'm running out of time, but let me just finish this because this, it's so, so important. It's saying, brethren, I, count, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, keep your life simple. One thing Paul did. What was that one thing? One thing. So many of us are doing a thousand million things. Just do one thing. And you know what he says? Forgetting those things which are behind. I reach forward to those things which are ahead. I've had a good life with Christ. If I went to heaven now, I'd say, God, thank you for your life. But I forget those things. Paul could have said, I've done this, I've done that. He didn't mention any of his great things that he's done. I forget those things. Forget what's behind. You can't live in the past. If your memory is bigger than your dream, you've lost your destiny. Some of us have got no future mindset. We don't think of the future. So because we don't think of the future, we're not spending time with God, we don't see what He sees, we're always talking about the past. Well, God did. God did this. God did this. So if your testimony is, oh, God did this. God did. What about God doing now? Forget what's behind and press forward. Just think about it. Your future in God is great. It's greater than your past. Paul was motivated with this. I forget what's behind and I've pressed forward. What am I pressing for? The high calling. I'm going for the goal. What's the target? The high calling of God in Christ. Everyone in this room has a high calling in God. He says, I, do, I go after that high calling. That's what he's focused about. The high calling in God. Amen. Please read this. Go through it. Meditate. Say, God, speak to me. He will. He'll establish your heart in the, God, in the Word of God. Let's, can we pray? Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. You are wonderful. You are gracious. You are merciful. You are so loving that You've given us this gift of righteousness with God. Right standing with Almighty God. Father, we thank You for the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The Gospel of the Kingdom. The good news that God sent His Son to take away the sin of the world. We put our faith in Him and Him alone, Lord Jesus. Our confidence is in Christ and Christ alone, not in our works of our flesh or anything of our past. Father, let this reality be our reality. The truth be our reality. We walk in it. We release the past. We let go of it now. All of it, all of it. Just release it in your mind. Release it in your heart. Stuff that the enemy was bashing you with. Stuff that the enemy was condemning you with. 
putting shame on you. Just get rid of it right now. Just draw a line and say, that's it. The past is the past. I let it go. I look forward and I forget the past and I go after Christ in Jesus' name. Why don't we stand to our feet? We're going to worship the King. We're going to pray for people. If you want prayer, want to receive prayer, our prayer line is going to be on my left there, right on the back wall there. Um, Please come and, and receive prayer. We'd love to pray for you, with you. God bless you. listening to the GGC Life Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. For more, please visit our website, ggclife.com or email us, ggclife at ggclife.com. From our house to yours, be blessed.